Join Dr. Brown as he continues to dig deep into the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he walks through the book of Galatians. This is Hearing is Believing. Will you tell me what all of these names have in common? Think with me for just a moment. Choctaw, Chickasaw, Tallahatchie, Yazoo, Tishomingo. What do all those names have in common? All right, Indian names, what else? They're all places in Mississippi, that's right. Well, how about this one? Such as Saltee, Nakuchi, Dahlonega, Yona, Anoda, Chestatee. What are those names? All of those are places in Georgia, and those are Indian names too. See, we're not as different as you think that we are. We're pretty, uh, we're pretty unique together. But Katie and I, we met in North Georgia, and we met in Cleveland, Georgia, and one of the things that we liked to do while we were at Troop McConnell College, which now it's Troop McConnell University, is we would like to uh, take drives and hike and explore the trails and look for waterfalls in the North Georgia mountains. And there was one particular spot that I remember uh, that captured our attention. It was, it was a uh, you had to go on a way to a trail, and on the way you came across something called Stone Pile Gap. Stone Pile Gap. And right in the middle of the road was a huge pile of rocks that were all thrown on top of each other, and they were really as high as a semi-truck. It was pretty impressive. Now that was an Indian mound, and the legend has it that uh, underneath those rocks is an Indian princess. Cherokee Indian princess who was known for her beauty. And so you had these strangers who passed by her grave. They began to leave a stone to remember her. And over the years, her grave became a place where passers-by would uh, leave stones hoping for good luck. And over the years, the pile grew higher and higher and higher. And so when it came time for them to make a road, instead of moving all the rocks, they went around the rocks. It was that big. But think about that. Each stone, if you were to imagine in your mind this stone pile gap, maybe some of you have already Googled it to get a search for it. But anyway, you, uh, just imagine in your mind what stone pile gap is. Each stone tells a story. And while most of the stone layers, no doubt, don't believe that laying a stone is going to do anything, when I laid a stone there, I didn't believe that it was going to be of any benefit to me. But each, uh, even though I didn't believe that it was going to be of any benefit to me, I still took the time to lay the stone. And each stone tells a story. And for some of those stones, there's a story of burden. For some of those, there's a story of desire that has yet to be met. And my question for you today is simply this. How do people deal with a life filled with burden and care? How do people deal with a life full of expectations, hopes, and unmet desires? And here's what I know. Everyone within the sound of my voice, you you have a desire that you've expressed. That's why you went to school. That's why you're in school, because you have a desire. You, uh, maybe if you didn't go the school route, you still took a job, and on that job you had training, and maybe it was on-the-job training, but you learned something new because you wanted to better yourself. 
Or maybe you took up a new hobby. And why did you take up a new hobby? Because you wanted to try something new. You have a desire that you need to be met. So here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Before you waste your life and time searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to invite you to cling to the old rugged cross, to come to Jesus, to lay down your burdens, to lay down your cares. I'm going to invite you this morning to come to Jesus and let your heart and soul find its resting place. And today what I want to do through the Word of God, I I want us to experience, I want you to experience freedom in Christ, freedom through Christ. And so we turn our attention to Galatians today, and if you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead. Join me in Galatians chapter 5. We come really to the, uh, the, to the crest of what Paul has been saying to this young church, this uh, restless church, this tender church that's been infiltrated by these false teachers. They're trying to recover from the message of falsehood. They're trying to understand the gospel. And Paul, the whole time to this young church, he lays out the gospel, and the gospel is pretty simple. The gospel is salvation, according to the Bible, salvation is Jesus. Now, I want you to hear that closely. Salvation is Jesus. It's not Jesus and, but it's only Jesus. Only Jesus saves. We receive grace by we receive Jesus rather by grace through faith. What does that mean? That means that salvation is not based upon what we do, what we might do, or what we should have done. Salvation is only Jesus. And so the message of only Jesus is what brings satisfaction. The message of only Jesus is the message that will free you this morning from a, from a load of care, because only Jesus saves. And so let's read the Bible this morning, Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and we'll go all the way through verse 15. Hear the word of our God. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you or who cut into you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view 
The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So did you hear how sharp God's Word is to us this morning? And I sort of mean that in a sort of a punny way. Hear how sharp it is? Look at verse 12 again. I pause there because I want you to understand how strong Paul's argument is, how strong his rhetoric is. Look at what he says. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In other words, the Bible is being very explicit this morning. The point is very explicit. And what is the point? The point is it's only Jesus that saves. It's only Jesus that saves. And so I've entitled this message today, Freedom in Christ. And I'm going to give you some truths. Hopefully you've got your sermon journal. Hopefully you'll be taking an opportunity to write some of these points down. But uh, the point is, is that it's only Jesus. And so Freedom in Christ is the title. Number one, write this down. Write this point down. Christ has set us free. Firstly, I want you to learn that Christ has set you free. Look how explicit the Bible is. I don't think the Bible could be any plainer than what it is in verse 1. But notice how specific it is. It's not simply that Christ has set us free. That's not all that the Bible says. Look closely. Christ has done that. He set us free. But look at the Bible. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. In other words, He has set us free so that we can enjoy freedom. He's not set us free so that He can entrap us. He's not set us free so that He can enslave us. He has set us free so that we can enjoy what true life and freedom is. In other words, the cross is freedom, and on the other side of that cross is freedom. There's a, no, there's a whole other life that we get to experience on the other side of the cross, and that's what Paul's going to make clear in his last concluding points of, uh, of, the, of the series in Galatians, of the, of the book of Galatians. There is life on the other side of the cross, and that life on the other side of the cross is a life of freedom. And so there's freedom in Christ. But here's the question that we have to answer this morning. What kind of freedom? What kind of freedom has Christ given us? Write this down. He has freed us from the never enough of the law. What has He freed us from? He has freed us from the never enough of the law. And look at this argument. Look how pointed it is and personal it is. There's no middle ground on this issue. It's either it's Jesus alone or it's nothing at all. Either Jesus saves or He doesn't. And it's either Christ alone or it's nothing at all. 
Look at verses 2 through 4. Notice how specific the reasoning is. Look at what he says. If you accept circumcision, now he's not talking about some surgical procedure. That's not what he's talking about, although that is. But he's talking about the principle that would guide someone to perform that surgical procedure. In other words, there is a theological consequence. It's an act with a theological consequence. He said, if you accept that act with a theological consequence, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, it can't get any clearer than that. There's no middle ground. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. Look at verse 3. He gets specific. I testify that every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, he says, why stop there? Why stop there? Circumcision is simply the entry point to the whole legal system. And so Paul says, if you choose what comes after faith, remember, there is an obedience that comes after faith, but don't put the cart before the horse. If you choose what comes after faith, remember, faith came first, and then the Bible says the law was added because of transgression. Remember, the law enslaves, remember that, but Jesus saves. And Paul says if you choose what comes after faith, if you try to put the cart in front of the horse, if you want to have the obedience of faith before faith, then you, then you obfuscate faith, or in other words, you make faith of no advantage. And here's what you must understand. Choosing the legal system over Christ, choosing the do better over the I have done, choosing the I must instead of I will, choosing the uh, this is what I can do instead of the it is finished, choosing the legal system over Christ is a yoke of slavery that you cannot bear. You've shackled yourself to a system that is restless, a system that is anxious, a system that never satisfies, and it leaves you wanting more and more and more. How many sacrifices does it take? How many prayers do you have to say? How much do you have to give? How often do you have to go? What's enough? The law cannot answer that question because you cannot satisfy the law's demands. You see, there's nothing that you can do that's enough. There's nothing that you can do that's enough. And so you're trapped in a demanding legal system that you think that yourself is the only solution. But here's the truth. Even your best, even the best that you can do is failing, failing, failing. Notice how specific the language of verse 4 is. You are severed from Christ. That's, again, a word play on circumcision. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, look at how specific this is in verse 4, have fallen away from grace. 
Now, preacher talk, we call falling away from grace, we call that apostasy. Apostasy, that is falling away. You say, what is Paul saying? I thought that our salvation was eternally secure in Christ. Absolutely it is. Here's what he's saying. He is, he's using this apostasy language of falling away to show them that there is no other way of salvation except trusting in Christ alone. Trusting in Christ alone is your only means of salvation. And so let's learn something about salvation. Let's take this opportunity then, since we've already opened the can about falling away and all of these things, let's, let's learn a little bit about salvation. Salvation is a one-time past event that has ramifications into the future. It's a one-time event. There was a time when you did not believe, or I'll just speak personally. There was a time when I did not believe but now there, was, there came a time in my life as a six-year-old boy, or my wife says I was five. We're still fighting over that. But anyway, I was five or six years old when I came to know Jesus Christ. I believed on that day. And guess what? I believe today. Some of you get so concerned, like my story is, well, I don't know exactly when I accepted Jesus. Was I five years old? Was I six years old? All of these kind of questions, and you try to pinpoint back to those days, and you get so bent out of shape because of all, you can't, you can't remember the moment. You can't remember where you are. I remember in a Wana class, I remember someone coming up to me after I shared with my teacher. I shared with him. I shared, and I said, you know, I accepted Jesus. And he said, did you have, did you have chills all over? And I was thinking in the back of my mind, I didn't have chills all over. Maybe I'm not saved. And so I said, yeah, I sure did. But I didn't have any chills. I didn't have any of that kind of stuff. But here's the point. Here's the point. Salvation is a one-time past event that continues into the present. Salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not I used to believe or I hope to believe, but I presently and actively believe right now. There was a time when you believed at first, but salvation is believing right now. And so let me just ask you a question. Do you believe right now? Do you believe right now in Jesus? And if you say yes, then you're saved. You say, how do I know that I'm saved? You are believing in Jesus alone for your salvation. You're not trusting in some feeling. You're not trusting in your baptism. You're not trusting on the fact that I come to this church every week or my grandmother came here or I give this much money. Or You're not trusting in any of those things as important as they are as markers so that you can nail it down, but you're trusting right now in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. And I know how that rubs you. I know how, because I know how it rubs me, because it's hard to believe. You mean salvation is all based upon what God has done for me, and I just have to believe? Absolutely. This is the gospel. 
And we have to preach it to ourselves every day. Because remember, Paul's writing to a church in Galatia. He's writing to a church, a a young church, a tender church. And here comes this, this group of preachers, perhaps. Here comes all the flash. Here comes all the pomp. Here comes all the circumstance. And because we like to self justify, because we like to have things the way that we like them, because we really like to control things deep down, we won't, we, we can't believe that the cross of Christ is sufficient. And so someone comes to us and says, no, no, you got to be baptized. No, no, you got to read your Bible. No, no, you didn't witness this week. No, no, you didn't, you didn't pay a tithe this week. And so this church has been infiltrated by these false teachers. And Paul's saying, you're going to slip. You're going to fall back. You're going to backslide. You're going to be trapped into a system that Christ has freed you from already. Well, I submit to a yoke of slavery. And it's antithetical to our thinking, but this is the gospel. We're oftentimes so guilty of trying to look to ourselves for what we can do. But you know what? We, we can't get over the cross. So we're trying to do all that we can do. And there's the cross of Jesus Christ that is immovable. And there it stands. And that cross, it says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left its stain on me. But he's washed it white as snow. You're going to be tempted to slip into religion or religiosity. But you remember chapter 5 and verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. You see, salvation is not what you can do. Salvation is what He has already done. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Look at verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. And then look at what he says next. Don't miss this. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. And that's the second point that I want you to write down. The second point is that you have to fight for your freedom. He says, this is what Christ has done. Now stand there. Put your dukes up. Take your religiosity out to the woodshed. Take your feelings of not being good enough and remember that, yet's yeah, exactly right. You're not good enough, but Jesus is. And so put all of your hope, put all of your confidence in the finished work of Jesus. Fight for your freedom because your own self will tempt you to slip back into religiosity, slip back into instead of enjoying the freedom that Christ has given you. I want to give you three ways that you can fight for freedom. Number one, remember the offense of the cross. Remember the offense of the cross. Paul told another church, he said, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The cross, you, some people say, you mean all I have to do is believe and receive? That doesn't make sense. Why can't I do this? Why well, I have to do this? And Jesus said, I've done it all. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, the Bible says it's the 
power of God. People, they look for signs. They, they look for seven easy steps, and there again, on their way for their self-justification, they have to get over the cross, and there's no way to get over the cross. And the message of the cross, remember, is Jesus paid it all. Look at verse 11. We have to keep this audacious, radical, saving message always before us, the offense of the cross. The second way for us to fight freedom is that we have to remember who called you. Remember who it is that called you. Look at verse 8 there. It says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Now, verse 8, that, that repeats a phrase that we've introduced, been introduced in the first chapter. Go back to the first chapter. Let me show you. It's a foundational term for understanding our salvation. And that foundational term for understanding our salvation is called. God has called us to salvation. That is, what does that mean? It means that He took the initiative to save us. He came seeking and saving lost ones. When you were not calling on Him, He came calling on you. He took the initiative to save you. Look at what he says in chapter 1 and verse 6, and this is how he opens his argument for the entire book of Galatians. Notice, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning again to a different gospel. He starts his entire argument in Galatians. He says, remember your call. Salvation has always been all of God. And then look at what happens. He repeats it at chapter 1 and verse uh, 15, in chapter 3 and verse 29, in chapter 4 and verse 19. He says it over and over again so that we'll remember. Salvation is not based upon what we have done or can do or might do. It's what He has done. And He called us. He came seeking. He took the initiative. He called us to Himself. We are His. But not only are we called, we're sealed. Sealed. Look at, uh, look at what happens here in verse 5 of chapter 5. And that's the third thing we have to do to fight for freedom. We have to remember that we are sealed. Remember the one who sealed us. God took the initiative to call us. And because He called us, because of Jesus, He seals us through the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. So the Spirit, he says that he's already introduced the Spirit to us in chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, when you receive the Spirit, he says, in other words, uh, there was a time when you received the Holy Spirit. And he calls them back to that. He tells them, remember the assurance. Remember the relief. Don't forget the moment that you first believed. Salvation came to you naturally or supernaturally. Salvation came to you supernaturally, and it came to you through the Spirit. You were convicted of your sin, and you believed that the only remedy from your sin was Jesus. Now, on that day, you didn't see the Spirit. But like the wind that blows, the Spirit had an effect on your heart. And if you listen, Paul says, He still does. 
He still does. You see, this is what it means to be saved. It means that you are the recipient of the supernatural work of God. And it means that you are standing, supernaturally standing, in the finished work of righteousness through Christ on the cross. And this allows you, you see what this does, this freedom? This allows you to focus where you ought to focus. Don't miss this. God has done a work. God has done a work on you from the outside in so that what is on the inside can be lived out. Salvation is not a matter of of your own opinion. It's not a matter of your preferences. It's not about any of those things. It's something that you've received from above, from outside, from within. God has done a work on your heart, and then what He's done in your heart expresses itself outward. How could it not? Notice what the Bible says in Galatians 5, 6. And I'm going to make a connection for you at 5, 6, and at 5, 13 through 15. So 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But here's the key phrase, ready? Only faith working through love. Now let's go down to verse 13. For you were called, there again is that language, to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed with one another. In other words, we get to live the freedom that Christ has given us. We get to live that freedom outward. That's the third point that I want you to write down about freedom in Christ. Number three, live freely. You now get to live. And the life that you now get to live in Jesus is a life of freedom. Freedom. You say, how do I live freely? Well, what does he say here? He says, don't use it as a covering for your evil. He said, if you think that this is some cheap grace, forget it. You don't understand the cross. You don't understand what you've been freed from. It's not cheap grace. It's live freely. And how does he point us to live freely? It's one of the most difficult things imaginable. And I know because I've been a pastor nearly half my life now. You know what it is? It's loving other people. The most difficult thing imaginable is what you and I are called to do. And this is what makes church so glorious. This is what makes church so messy. This is what makes it what it is, is we get to remind each other of grace. We get to remind each other of forgiveness. And so if I pull out in front of you today in the parking lot or I cut you off, then you got to forgive me. Or if I don't let you out of here in time for you to get your spot in lunch, then you got to forgive me. All of these things, we get to put up with one another. He calls us to do the hardest thing imaginable. And you know what that is? We got to love one another. Otherwise, we'll bite and devour and consume each other. How do we live freely? We love one another. We can love because we're loved. 
You know what the law does? This is, this is the freedom, all right? The law leaves us focusing on ourselves, what we can do. And we're always anxious. We're always uneasy because we, we aren't sure if we've ever done enough. Christ has come to set us free from that anxiety so that we could focus on what we ought to focus, not on ourselves, but on one another. The law focuses our energy on what we can do. And since our best is never good enough, we become indignant, we become embittered, and we sour. Faith in Christ shifts our focus from ourselves and what we can do to Him and what He has done. And He has done enough. When you came in today, some of you received uh, a brick, and some of you were wondering, you know, what, why are you giving me this brick? What is this? You've been toting around this brick. You've had it with you the whole time here. Maybe it's under your pew. You've wondered, you know, what is this thing that you've been putting up with, you've been dealing with? You've had it. For some of you, just like these people with a brick today, you've been carrying around a burden of anxiety, wondering if what you do is going to make you acceptable before God. You've been anxious, so overcome. Today I'm going to invite you to cast your cares and anxiety on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So for those of you who have a brick, would you come stand and bring your brick down and put it where it belongs? Would you take it to the foot of the cross and leave it there? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know what that cross says? That cross says, 
that you are more flawed than you think you are. But you are more loved than you could ever imagine. That cross says you are forgiven. Not some of it. Not what I did then. All of it. Christ said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, he says. And my burden is light. You know why it's light? Because it's freedom. Amen. It's freedom. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus said, it is finished. I believe him. Do you? Would you stand with me? Father, we love you. And we pray today for those who are burdened with care, that they would believe that it is finished and live accordingly. For all of us who have burdens, may today be the day that we lay it down and hear you say, it is finished. In Jesus' name, if you need to come, you come. for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.